Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. Here we go. We got another good episode of the Claptrap ahead of us. We have a lot of things to talk about, things that went down over the weekend, the way our teams have been playing. The Celtics are rolling right now. The Bruins just made a big trade for a big player, a big piece to keep this team going with their playoff hopes. The Red Sox made a move. The Patriots even signed, uh, you know, a, a player or two. So we're going to get into all of that. And we're going to start off with those Patriots just because, uh, man, they're actually right now the team that I'm the most disappointed with in Boston. I mean, I know I started off the year saying things about the Celtics and how I didn't believe in them and all of that. And, and they have certainly turned things around. They have certainly shut people like me up because since January, whatever it was, 22nd or whatever, whatever the date was in January where they were one game under 500, they have been on a tear. And so they are now vying for the second seed in the in the Eastern Conference. But we're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, the, the Red Sox, like I said, they made a move. The Bruins, they made a huge move. I can't wait to talk about that as well. But we got to start with the Patriots, or I want to start with the Patriots, I should say, because like I said, they're kind of the, the most disappointing team in all of New England right now, just because of their stand patness, they, they, they're not making moves or they're not doing things that everybody was hoping that they would do. I mean, coming off of last offseason, when you had a free agency that they spent the most out of anyone and they really tried to retool the team. And yes, you could say that they either hit at like a 50 percent rate or at best a 60 percent rate with their free agents because some of them stunk. Ones including guys like Jonu Smith, who I was hoping was going to be good, stunk. But then you had some other really good ones, uh, you know, on this team. Like Matthew Judon is an actual, an absolute home run, obviously. So it was good to have him on the squad. But now we're moving into this next year, and the team needs to continue to hit on their free agent signings, and they obviously need to hit on the big draft that's going to be coming up, and I'm going to talk about that more as we get closer to the NFL draft because they do have, I believe, seven picks in this upcoming draft. So there is a chance for this Patriots team to continue getting younger, continue getting better through the draft. They, To me, you hit on three picks last year, right? You obviously had Mac Jones, Christian Barmore, amazing. I love the kid, even though I know that he, along with the rest of the defense, kind of puttered out towards the end of the season. And then you have Ramondre Stevenson, who is going to be great, I think, and continue to be a good running back as well, eventually take over that full role for Damian Harris. So, you know, we need to be able to see the the linebackers and offensive linemen and guys that we've brought in over these last couple of years continue to develop, and I'm hoping that they will. Guys like Uche and, and Anthony Jennings, I, I hope you kind of you need to take another step because at this point, we that's one of our major needs, right? The front seven, continuing to bolster that front seven, especially if you're not going to bring back a guy like J.C. Jackson. We've talked about all of that. But they started off with, or, or started down the right path of, of starting to shore up a, a few pieces, one of, one of which being the offensive line. Obviously, now we have signed Trent Brown to a two-year deal. Very team-friendly. You know I love that. Hashtag team-friendly over here. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that, but I got to say, I mean, as much as I love Trent Brown, there are moments where he does kind of, I don't know, either he doesn't try as hard enough 
or or he's just you know he gets injured really easily something like that so I am very happy don't get me wrong I'm very happy to have Trent Brown back on this team but we obviously need more on that offensive line as well and then the other thing that has happened so far has been that everybody else in the AFC seems to be getting better every single day we are seeing the the quarterback carousel is moving all of the quarterbacks it seems to the AFC You've already, we've already talked about Russell Wilson going to the Broncos, and now that AFC West is is absolutely stacked between the Chiefs, the Broncos now with Russell Wilson, uh, you know Justin Herbert developing on that Charger squad, and they're going out and trying to get everybody under the sun. You also have the Raiders, who are trying to also load up as well, who they don't necessarily have a great quarterback yet. I don't believe in Carr as much, but they do have now Josh McDaniels, and he clearly sees the value in going out and getting players. They went and traded for Devontae Adams. So maybe that team is going to be really good as well. I'm not fully convinced on the Raiders. But the other three teams in that division, great. But now you have things like the Deshaun Watson trade has finally gone through. Those, those you know, uh, sexual assault conduct cases, all of that. I don't know what's going to happen with that. It seems as though it's starting to go away. The fact that he got traded makes me believe that he is going to get away scot free with all of that stuff and I'm not I'm not going into the legal things. I don't really know what was going on with that. It just seems like he was a horrible person, but you know that kind of stuff happens, I guess in the NFL. That's just just what the NFL is kind of like. They do that. But they now have traded Deshaun Watson to the Browns, a team that was completely loaded and then if you thought that there was a weakness, maybe it was Baker Mayfield, the, their quarterback. Now you're getting a possible top five quarterback in the league. Yes, I believe Deshaun Watson, even after his time off, can be a top five quarterback in this league, possibly even this year. He was great. He's going to continue to be great. They maybe need to get a few more offensive weapons for him because they've lost guys like Odell Beckham and 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 uh, I believe Landry's going to leave. I'm not sure. So we're going to see about that. But you also had Matt Ryan going to the Colts now. So that's another team that, once again, the Colts, the only real piece that they were missing was a quarterback. You had Mr. Sprain both my ankles at the same time, Carson Wentz, on that team. And he is gone now. He's gone to play for the Washington Commanders. So, man, the NFC, they're starting to lose all of their quarterbacks. And they're sending them all to the AFC, it seems. You know, Matt Ryan, I still believe, can be good. And so I am, unfortunately, very worried about the Colts now. You know, Russell Wilson, obviously good. He's on the Broncos. Deshaun Watson, he moved from the Texans to the Browns, so still in the AFC. But man, all these teams are getting in the way of the Patriots and their ability to continue to progress, especially with Matt Jones. And I need to be able to tell you guys where I think they slot in as of right now. And I'm going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Okay, we've started off the show talking about the Patriots and their situation. We've talked about the NFL, really, because the AFC, or the AFC, I should say, the AFC is just getting so much better, it seems, every single day. And the Patriots, they're not doing much. <clears throat> it's unfortunate. They're, they're not doing really anything. Now, there is a lot of free agents still available, and, you know, you can't get somebody in trouble for something they haven't done yet, but it's starting to seem like we're going to get some, you know, second, third, fourth day guys on the free agent market that they're not going to really move the needle, but they'll be able to fill in some spots, I guess, and, and we'll see how that goes. But right now, 
it feels like not only to me, but I, I think a lot of Patriots fans, we we are in trouble going into this next season, not just because of where our team stands, but how much better every other team is getting. You already know that you're very behind the Bills. The Buffalo Bills clearly own the AFC East. Right now, there's nothing you can say about it. You could be the biggest Patriots fan in the world, and you could not tell me with a straight face that they are actually in a better position in the AFC East than the Buffalo Bills. They, The Bills clearly own the AFC East, right? I still do believe that the Patriots are better than the Dolphins, and they're obviously better than the Jets. The Jets can't figure out their, their ass from their elbow. It doesn't. They don't understand what's going on. But as you move around the AFC, as I said, every team is getting better. I said this in the last segment. The AFC West is absolutely stacked. You already had the Chiefs, who I continue to believe the Chiefs will be good. It's just they now have a much tougher road ahead of them. The Raiders are loading up with Josh McDaniels. He is getting every player that he can to come to the the Raiders at this point. He's got, uh, you know... Um, Jones came over, Chandler Jones. They went and traded for Devontae Adams. They're loading up on that Raiders squad. So even though I don't believe in Carr, I still think that their team is going to be good. You have the Chargers and the Broncos, obviously. So those four teams are absolutely possible th playoff threats right there. Obviously, uh, some championship threats as well in, in, in that grouping. But the AFC South now... <clears throat> excuse me, was already led by the Titans, a very well-coached team. You think, you know from me, or what I've said before, I love Mike Vrabel as a coach, even though it started to come out some really sketchy things about the way that they they uh, handle practices, Mike Vrabel in particular, when it comes to injuries, injured NFL players. It's, it's getting a little sketchy out there with some of the stuff that I've heard about that. Not that that's shocking at all. If you, if you think that NFL won... <clears throat> excuse me, the NFL, one of the most violent sports going, is going to have these, you know, uh, uh, coaches that are just all about fluffy rainbows and, and bright colors and, and thinking that everyone deserves the best and nicest treatment of all time. That's just not going to happen. So especially Mike Vrabel, you're not going to see that. But I'm starting to hear a lot of things or hear stories of old where, you know, player gets injured. They don't even move the player off the field. They say, you know, get this, uh, you know, B word off the off the field and and let's move on and keep going. We don't really care about that, but they're very well coached and they still have a really good defense, a good enough offense where they're going to they also just got Robert Woods for another weapon to go across from AJ Brown. And I believe that Tannehill can continue to be good enough. You got Derrick Henry, who who knows how many more years he'll be in his prime, but he is clearly in his prime as a running back, the best one in the league, I believe. So the Titans are great, and then you have the Colts that had everything but a quarterback, and they just go out and get Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, somebody who is going to be good still on that team. He is still he was good last year, or he's been good these last couple of years with just absolutely nothing around him. So if the Colts go out and get somebody like Julio Jones to come and play with Matt Ryan to be the number two wide receiver behind Michael Pittman Jr., and then they already have Jonathan Taylor. They already have a good offensive line. They already have a really good defense. That Colts team is already really is 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 vaulting itself up there as a playoff contender and possibly more. And then you have the AFC North, the the AFC champs, the the Bengals. It, you know, will Burrow continue to progress? I would assume he would. They have a nice young team there. You got the Browns, who now have Deshaun Watson, and you have the Ravens who are, I mean, if they didn't have a million injuries last year, I think that they would have been in the mix. They ended up not being in the mix at 8-9, but 
to get to that point and have that many injuries, still pretty crazy. So the AFC is going to be stacked, people. It's going to be tough, and I got to say I'm very upset and very worried about this season so far because as far as I can see, you got the Bills, the Bengals, the Browns, the Titans, the Colts, the Chiefs, Chargers, and Broncos that are all at least as good as the Patriots, if not definitely better. And I, I'm leaning towards better with most of those guys. So that puts the Patriots, to me, as the ninth best team in the AFC. That is tough. We have moved so far down the list just from other teams getting quarterbacks or getting better, and it feels like the Patriots are not doing anything in this free agency to stop that process. So yes, it's extremely frustrating. I don't know how any Patriots fans could be confident that this is going to be a playoff year for this team. We have one of our tougher schedules coming up, it seems. The teams that we have to play, I mean, the obvious ones that you have to play in your own division, having to play the Bills twice is tough. But you still, you get to play those Colts that just got Matt Ryan this year. You got to play the AFC champion Bengals in this uh, schedule that we have. You're playing the Browns, who just got Deshaun Watson. You're playing the Raiders with Josh McDaniel loading, loading up. Packers, you're playing the Cardinals. These are all teams that you're going to get on your schedule this year that's going to be a very tough season for this squad, especially if we don't get anything else in free agency. Now, I'm, obviously, they're going to get some things, and they're going to bring in some uh, some draft picks, but are they going to hit on those draft picks? Are they going to hit on those free agent picks? I don't know. I don't know. I don't see how you can trust that. I know that I'm, I am I love Bill Belichick. I, I believe that he can usually turn things around, but man, he's making it really hard this year going into it. I'm not going to say that they can't do it. I'm not saying that they can't go and, and get you 10, 11 wins this season, somehow pulling out something, but it would be surprising to me if they are a top-tier team or talked about in any sense as a top-tier team uh, going forward. So... I don't know. I'm worried about the squad. I'm worried about the direction of the offseason, and we're going to see how that goes in the future. Now, there's one more thing that I did want to talk about, and we're going to do that with the Patriots when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. So I'm very worried. I'm very worried about this Patriots team. I'm worried about the direction of the offseason. I'm worried about what this next season is going to hold. We are certainly going to be watching a football team fighting for their playoff life going into next year, especially as of now. There's no way, and I said this last segment, but there's no way that any Patriots fan can be confident right now that this Patriots team is going to make the playoffs. There's just so many teams that have gotten better in the AFC, and we have not filled up the majority of the holes that we have. If anything, we've gotten worse. Right, We've gotten rid of multiple linemen, offensive linemen. Yes, we did bring back T Trent Brown, but you got rid of multiple offensive linemen and getting rid of guys like Shaq Mason, who was from po pro football focus, considered our best offensive player last year, by the way. Uh, you get rid of somebody like him and you think that he, they're going to bring in a bunch of cap space and then you think that maybe that means that they're going to make a big move. But why do you think that? Why do you, Zach, why do you think that? When in, in the past, that has not meant that at all. You can't just assume that the Patriots are going to go out and make some big splashy move just because they got a bunch of cap space. 
which they didn't get a bunch. I shouldn't say a bunch, but they got enough cap space to do something. That doesn't mean they're going to do anything. That means they're most likely going to chop that up into three or four different players that are making a heck of a lot less than that big salary cap space of $14 million. Chop that up into three or four you know, play, players that are making $4 million per. Something like that. Try and fill out some spots. That's the Patriot way. So I don't know why anyone, including myself, was convinced that they were going to actually do anything big when they got rid of Shaq Mason. I don't know, maybe just because you hear the talking heads say that. But we're still trying to figure out what this team is actually going to be, and there are. There are a lot of free agents that are out there that I think could be huge, obviously, for this team. But will we go after them? Will we, will we go out there and get players or, or go after a Stephon Gilmore and bring him back? Will we go after a Bobby Wagner? Or a, a Tyron Matthew, which there's no point to bringing in him. But I've heard things about Akeem Hicks coming back, helping out with that defensive line. You could go out and get one of the offensive tackles remaining, like Dwayne Brown. You know, there's there, there are players out there. Melvin Ingram is out there, linebacker. You know, they've got guys that they could go after, but will they go after any of them? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I have no idea. I have no faith. I honestly have no faith. I'm a beaten down Patriots fan. Obviously, I'm going to root for the team. I'm going to hope for the best, and it's going to be fun to watch the battles that they're going to have. But between Belichick supposedly taking over more of the coaching staff or more of the coaching duties, especially even on the offensive side of things, and then on top of it, they're just doing a, a Patriots offseason that they have done in the past where they don't really do much. They don't do anything splashy. They bring in the guys that Belichick believes he can mold into what he needs on the team. And they're not doing anything crazy. I don't know. It gives me no confidence. But I, there is one other thing that I wanted to talk about with the players that they have been looking at, the players that they've been bringing in to, to work out for the Patriots that I found very interesting. Now, it's not the Leonard Fournette one, because he is obviously already signed with the Buccaneers. He went back and signed with the Buccaneers. And in all honesty, I had no idea why we were bringing in Fournette when I think one of our strongest places on the team right now is the running back position between Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson alone and then hopefully James White can bring you something which I'm not convinced about that you guys guys have heard me for the last week or so saying I'm still worried about James White and his hip is he going to be as elusive is he going to be able to be the same player that he was I don't know it's going to be very tough so we can't necessarily rely on James White but just Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson alone I believe in that running back group there's just those two. So I'm very happy there. But so I had no reason. I had no idea why they were bringing in Fournette. That just would have messed up the, the whole rotation, in my opinion. But the other player that they brought in was pretty funny to me was Malcolm Butler. Malcolm Butler is coming back. He's coming out of retirement. He's trying to get a job again. And who does he go to first to work out with? Well, it wasn't the Patriots. I believe he worked out with another team first. But who does he go to second <laughs> to work out with? He goes to the Patriots, which is shocking to me because I thought he had it completely out for the Patriots after the whole Super Bowl debacle where he gets sat, whether you feel one way or the other about the whole Super Bowl situation. Obviously, that ended poorly, and then he went off and got his contract with the Titans and was never heard from again, and I, I know he probably had some mental issues or something went on, he had to retire and all that kind of stuff, and you never, that's all bad. We don't want bad things to happen to people. I just want to be able to make fun of you for your football on the field. I don't, I, I don't ever want to do anything about your own personal life, so I hope the best for him in that sense. But it's funny to me that after being that 
against the Patriots because of that whole situation, you're going to actually even come back and try out for the Patriots again? I don't know. Something about that is is just a little fishy to me. So either, you know, over the time, the, the fire has gone to more of a smolder and you don't really care as much as about the beef that you had before Malcolm Butler, or you're so desperate, you have no other teams that were even willing to look at you. So... I don't know, if you come crawling back to Bill Belichick and the Patriots after everything that happened with you leaving the team and and everyone talking about how, oh, we needed Malcolm Butler, we needed Malcolm Butler to be able to win that Super Bowl. There was a lot of people that said that. Well, now apparently we have a chance to bring him back and bring him back to his glory days, right? Where we're very low on the depth chart with or, or depth overall with cornerbacks. Maybe you bring in a Malcolm Butler. Now, I have no faith in him. I believe in him 0%. I think that he got, after he got torched in that Atlanta Super Bowl by, I'm oh, and I'm blanking on the guy's name, the little fast guy that absolutely torched him. Ever since then, he was just a, a zero cornerback to me. He did nothing else to help the team. And then he did nothing to help the Titans. So, I don't know. It's just funny to me that he would be coming back to the Patriots after the way that everything ended. I'm shocked to th- to think that he is done with that beef, I guess, or he is willing to work with Bill Belichick again. I, I don't know. I thought he hated him. I- I'm shocked by that. So maybe it wasn't as bad as they thought, or maybe Malcolm Butler realizes that he was completely in the wrong in that situation. He shouldn't have been doing whatever it was he was doing, whether it was talking back to a coach or, or what, there was lots of different reports. I don't exactly know what exactly happened, but... I don't know. Maybe maybe that means that Belichick was right in, in sitting Malcolm Butler. Maybe it doesn't. Who knows? But I thought it was funny that he's actually coming back and doing this whole thing and, and possibly trying to make a return to the Patriots at some point. We'll see. We'll see how things go. Uh, I, I would be surprised if he actually cuts back onto this team. But all right. Time to move on from the NFL. Time to move on from the Patriots. We're going to talk about the hottest team in New England right now. The Celtics, when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. The Celtics are merely percentage points away from being the third place team in the Eastern Conference. How crazy is that? How crazy is it to think at this point in the year that this Celtics squad is now 45 and 28? and sitting percentage points away from passing the 76ers for third place in the Eastern Conference. They are just a half game back of the Bucks for second place in the Eastern Conference. I'm My mind has been blown. I, I was not expecting this whatsoever. You guys, if you had followed me along since the, the beginning of the season, I've been very down on this squad. The fact that we only got worse going into the season. We brought in a bunch of these random guys to try and fill out the role players on the bench. And they clearly weren't working. Schroeder clearly wasn't working in the beginning. And even though I like Josh Richardson, he had his moments too. And then you get to the trade deadline, you make these trades, it was addition by subtraction, you bring back in Tice, you bring back in, or you bring in Derek White, who has worked with Ime Odoka before, and all of a sudden, boom, they're off like lightning. Just just working their way up to the top of the standings, going from under 500 to now so far above that they're able to fight for the second seed in the Eastern Conference. This is crazy. This is crazy. To me, I, I, 
I was never expecting this. And so for any of the haters out there, the, the claptrap haters who were saying, yelling at their radio, Zach, you, you have no idea what you're talking about. This team is going to be fine, blah, blah, blah. First of all, I don't believe that you actually thought that back then. I'm pretty sure that even all the green teamers at the beginning of January or, you know, in, in December, whatever, were thinking, yeah, you know, as much as I love this team, as much as I root for them, no matter what, this just, they just don't have it. They just don't have, they clearly didn't have it back then. They were losing to sub 500 teams. They were losing to the teams that they should have beaten on top of losing to the teams that they couldn't compete with at the same time. So now you're sitting in this position. You have the the ability to get into the playoffs with a top tier seed with multiple possible playoff home playoff series in your favor. And it's crazy to think to me that all they needed to do was shorten up the bench, bring in a stud for the sixth man in Derek White. Love the kid. I don't care what you say about his shooting. Everything else that he brings to the table, his passing, his defense, his speed, his mindset when it comes to moving the ball and, and moving his own body off the ball as well. All of that has been so such a game changer to me for this Celtics squad that I don't care that he missed something like 20-something shots in a row or something ridiculous like that. I don't care about any of that. I think that he was a huge game changer for this squad, and he's going to continue to be going forward into the season. He's going to need to be a, a big part of the playoff rotation as well. This team is now at a point where we could actually see a decent run from the Celtics. They're the most exciting team in New England right now. They are. They are. As much as I hate to say it, I would love for it to be the Bruins. But, I, but hey, you know, it's ho hockey is tough anyways. As much as this is a hockey town, hockey is still a very niche sport comparatively to basketball. That is a, a more juggernaut at this point. And the Celtics are, are the main talk. They are. They're the main talk of the league, I think. I think that they have been the most dominant squad on both sides, Eastern or Western Conference. They they are just destroying teams right now. I mean, you're talking about winning by 20 points, 20-something points over the Nuggets squad. And then, I mean, the Thunder, technically, I guess the, the game looked a lot closer than it was. But it was never in doubt, I, I don't think, against the Thunder regardless of what happened. I mean, you get out to a 38-18 to 18 lead in the first quarter, and I think it was over. I think that that game was over. So, I, I don't know. Tatum and Brown are both playing on great, uh, on another level right now. You're winning games without Rob Williams and Marcus Smart. They did that against the Thunder. They still whooped up on them. And not that the Thunder or anything. They're actually a pretty subpar squad themselves. But, I don't know. I, we're, we're going to get a little bit more of a test now. With the end of the month playing against the Jazz, the Timberwolves, the Raptors, and the Heat, those are all playoff teams. So we're going to see once again what this team can do. And now I guess I've I've moved over into being confident that they can handle everybody, which is crazy to me. Now I still think that you could run into some really tough matchups in the playoffs, and I don't believe that this team is a championship team right now. But with everything they've done, and the way that I'm hearing the green teamers talk about them now, what are the expectations for this team? What what I feel like most people have changed their expectations. My expectations going into the year was six seed at best. You win a playoff series, that would be amazing. At this point now, the expectations have to move with the team's ability to move up the standings, right? They they have to change. You have to get to a point where now you believe that the Celtic squad can do something big if you've been a green teamer the entire time. Now. 
I don't believe that this team is going to come out of the Eastern Conference. I just don't. I still think at the end of the day, yes, we've shortened up the, the bench, but I think that at some point that's going to come back and bite us in the butt. I think that at some point they're going to start to slow down, whether that's a random matchup with the Nets, if they end up getting to like a, a three or a two seed and then the, the Nets are all of a sudden at the, the seven seed and you have to play them in the first round, I would not like that whatsoever. I still don't like your chances against the Nets without Ben Simmons. Just just Durant and Kyrie, and this is also assuming that Kyrie can actually play in the majority of the games, right? Because if that's the case, if that's the case, then you know I think that the Nets have enough gunpowder, they have enough uh, ability and, and 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 players on the on the court to be able to match up with the Celtics at the very least, if not be better. And then you still have the teams like the Heat where I think that they would give us a run for our money because they are just dogs. You got Jimmy Butler, you got Kyle Lowry, and then Bam, uh, Adebayo, all great. The Bucks would give us headaches. I don't care what you say. I, I think that the Bucks still would be a really tough team, and they have Giannis, a possible MVP candidate. And then you never know what the Sixers are going to be. I don't really trust in the Sixers anymore, just because Harden, I think, stinks, but or he's, he's up and down, whatever it is, but... I don't know. What are the expectations for this Celtics squad going forward? What can we expect them to do? What are you expecting them to do, Celtics fans? I want to know. I want to know about it. All right, we're going to keep talking about them a little bit more when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Is Jason Tatum truly in the race for MVP? That's something that I'm actually starting to question as this season progresses, because of how good he has been. How good Jason Tatum has been specifically over these last, you know, this last month or so. His abilities on the court, something about him has changed. Something changed at some point during the year, and whether you want to say that that's, you know, being criticized by the media, guys like Perkins or whatever, or you, or you want to just say that, he finally started taking things serious. Whatever it is, he has been on an absolute tear. He's insane right now. He doesn't score any less than 20 points ever. You know, I have to go back all the way to the beginning of February to see a point where he actually scored under 20 points and he scored 19 against the Brooklyn Nets on February 8th. But other than that, he scores 20 to 54 points per game every single night, and he's getting rebounds, he's getting assists, he's getting some steals, he's doing a little bit of everything, he's playing defense a lot more, he had a crazy block the other night, that was great, coming out of nowhere, blocking the crap out of them, I, I'm very impressed with the way that he has vaulted his, his position up to top four, top three for the MVP race, I mean, you gotta start thinking about him, right? He has got to be up there with Joel Embiid and, uh, and uh, oh boy, uh, we just played him, Jokic. Thanks, Zach, for, for remembering the players' names. He's got to be up there with those guys. I mean, he's, he's up there with Giannis. He's up there with uh, Joel Embiid. I guess Luka maybe you could put in there as well. But Jason Tatum has got to be a top-tier player. When it comes to the MVP voting, he has to at this point. Not only is he doing it all the statistical way, right? Not not only is he is he just absolutely dominating from that standpoint, but the team as well is dominating. 
right? And, and to me, he's also played a lot more games than any of the top-tier MVP candidates right now. Jason Tatum has played in all 69 of the games, or he started in all of the 69 games that he's played and, and, and been dominant. And the other factor is the MVP should be the guy that the team would be absolutely nothing without them. Without Jason Tatum on this Celtics squad... There's no way they made this turnaround. There's just no chance, right? Yes, I say all, all these things about Derek White and how much I like him and how he changed the, the whole way and the dynamic that everything was going on this squad, that second unit, that his fast play, the way that he's able to play defense, pass, all that kind of stuff. I think that he was a major effect on, on the team overall. And Jalen Brown's play has obviously gotten better. He is consistent now, more consistent. And, and you know, nobody's questioning about trading Jalen Brown versus, versus Jason Tatum anymore. Nobody's doing that. But without Jason Tatum, none of this works. None of this comes even, even close to working for the Celtics squad. There is no chance that we are as good or at a position that we would be at. There's no chance that we're the fourth place seed in the Eastern Conference if there's no Jason Tatum. So to me... On top of everything else, on top of just already having the statistical categories, Jason Tatum deserves to be in the MVP voting, in the top-tier MVP voting, because of how good the Celtics have turned things around on top of it. It's it To me, if you're going to leave him out, of the of it to put in a guy like like Luca or to put in you know Giannis or any of these guys to me they don't actually mean as much to their specific team as Tatum does to the Celtics I, I don't know something about it something about the the Bucks or the you know the 76ers or or the the Mavericks these teams I personally think if you take away their star player, they're not going to be as impacted as the Celtics would. I think that the Celtics wouldn't even be in the play-in games if they didn't have Jason Tatum. Honestly, that's how I feel <laughs> right now. So, I, I don't know. What else do you need to be considered an MVP in this league, right? And Jason Tatum wants it. I think we all want it for him. Because I, I want him to just get that, uh, you know, on his resume so that he can continue to feel like the way he does as, as he is a top five player, possibly, possibly a top three player in the league. Because he can be that. And this is, I, I know I've said it all before, you know, bend over Tatum, I'll kiss it, whatever you need to do, please just stay in Boston. I think that we have gotten past that point. I think we're starting to see that he is going to be happy to be here. And now all we need to do is add something else to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and he will be here for the long run. I'm hoping Jason Tatum will too. But man, I, I think that he should be very high in the MVP voting. I don't know what you guys think out there. But do you think that Jason Tatum should be a top three player in, in the MVP voting? Because I'm starting to think so. Definitely top five, you know, probably top four. And I think he could be a top three candidate for the MVP vote this year, just because of how much he means for his team. Seriously. I, I think that there's nothing else that you can say about it. He has the stats. He has the record. He has the leadership, all that kind of stuff. He is a top-tier player in this league, and I am so happy that we had him because we have him because, man, as much as I rag on Danny Ainge for everything that he did wrong with this Celtics squad, and I love ragging on Danny Ainge, don't get me wrong, Jason Tatum was a home run. Trading back, ignoring the Markel Fultz hype, and going and getting Jason Tatum 
He set up this team for the future like crazy. I know that he went off the rails and he started doing weird things and maybe he, I don't know, there was some behind-the-scenes stuff and clearly he wasn't ready to retire. He was forced to retire Danny Ainge and now he's going in, he's working with, I don't know, the Timberwolves or the Jazz or whatever, whatever he's doing. I don't really follow him now. But man, did he set up this squad with Jason Tatum and I guess you could say Jalen Brown too, right? Because that was another pick that was was booed out of the stadium at the moment. So uh, thank you, Danny Ainge. I appreciate that. And let's all start thinking about Jason Tatum if you aren't already. I know Green Tamers probably were, but but everybody else, start thinking about Jason Tatum as a possible MVP candidate. I think it's going to happen. I think he's at least going to be in the top three by the end of the year. And I'm hoping that also the Celtics can be in the top three in the Eastern Conference as well. We'll see how that goes, though. All right, time to talk about the big Bruins news that happened over the weekend as well. We're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Thursday night is going to be absolutely huge for the Bruins. Huge. I cannot wait for this game against the Lightning. That is going to mean so much at this point in the season, such a big game, such a big regular season game for this Bruins squad and what it means for the standings and the possibility to at least get into the third place spot in the division, the Atlantic division. And then also, if we somehow get lucky and the New Jersey Devils can actually make make something of themselves tonight against the Maple Leafs, I doubt that that's going to happen. But if they could, you could possibly see this this Bruins squad moving into the second place spot in the Atlantic Division if they beat the Lightning on Thursday. Huge game. Huge game. That's all because the Hurricanes just beat the Lightning last night, which was nice. Always nice to see the Hurricanes helping us out. I appreciate that. This year, they've mostly just been hurting us, but now they could help us out in a sense. And they were able to beat the Lightning 3-2 to last night. Huge win for us. Now tonight, you have the Maple Leafs against the Devils, and we'll see how that goes. I, I highly doubt that the Maple Leafs are going to lose to the Devils, but hey, you never know. It's a hockey game. Anything could happen. <laughs> but I will say that the the Maple Leafs, from a betting standpoint, the Maple Leafs are minus 330 favorites, huge favorites, and the over-under in the game is seven goals, and I bet most of those goals are going to come from the Maple Leafs. So I wouldn't be surprised if they win. But the, the Bruins have put themselves now into a position where they can actually vie for the second spot in the division. They are now 5-1 and one in their last six. Yes, that wild game was tough. But after beating the Winnipeg Jets handily 4-2, to getting that nice uh, you know empty netter at the end made it look a lot better. I know, I get that. And then coming back against the Canadians, a, a team that you should not have been down to, the worst team in the entire NHL, and you got down to them and had to battle back, whatever, as long as you did it, that's all that really matters at the end of the day. But geez, guys, can we can we pull it together and not... I know that it was like, I think everyone, including myself, the fans, the players, everybody was looking past them to the Tampa Bay Lightning game. That seems pretty obvious in that one because they just didn't show up against a really bad team. And then the Canadians played the best that they possibly could have, right? They, they were they were on fire. So I don't know. It, it, this Thursday night, though, is going to be so huge. Can you believe that we actually have a chance now at this point in time to be able to get into the second place seed in the Atlantic division? And this is before bringing in their new trade acquisition. This is before Hampus. The Hampus era starts for the Bruins, and I'm going to get into that. I want to talk about the trade and what it means for the team, but 
man, that 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 game against the Canadians, Canadians, what do you what nice stutter there? The Canadians game was was nail biting. It shouldn't have been. It was nail biting. Now I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, how are we going to lose right now? We have built up so mo so much momentum, and yes, the the wild game was a speed bump, but it was coming at a terrible time. They were a very physical team. Second night of a back to back, they really wanted it. They were out for blood, all that stuff. It was a tough game to win, but this game against the Canadians, you should have easily beat this team. You should. I mean. I, I don't know. Nobody else can be thinking that the, the Canadians were going to come in and actually put up a good effort, but they did. And, you know, it was a, a they, it took a lot of crazy things happening. It took Connor Clifton's first goal in 31 games to be able to tie up the game with three minutes left. And then you had the, the great uh, Halla to Brad Marchand, super easy goal in the three-on-three where Halla just showed the most patience anyone's ever shown and waited and waited and waited and then gave Brad the easiest goal probably of his entire season where he was just able to easily deke around Jake Allen, made him look silly. But, I, you know, th this team should not have been down to the Canadians. I can't say it enough. I I'm shocked. I was I was upset. I'm yelling at my TV. What are we doing? They clearly were looking ahead to this Lightning game, right? I, I think we can all agree that, uh, that that was the case. But the only other thing that I wanted to pull kind of from this, this game here was an upsetting moment that I saw with Charlie McAvoy. And this was at the very end of the game. We're talking with 17 seconds left in the game. And I, sh I thought that McAvoy showed another moment where he could have been, uh, you know, very mature, but he failed. He failed miserably. It was a maturity moment that Charlie Coyle could have shown that he is progressing, not only physically and, and by his capabilities on the ice, but also mentally. And yet he gets that Evans guy from, from the Canadians, whatever line he's, I don't know, what, he's like their second or third line guy, a nobody basically, comparatively, comparatively specifically to Charlie McAvoy, he is a nobody. And with 17 sec seconds left in the game, you're down there and you're getting into a little like half fight down on the on the boards and just yeah you buried him and then you're you're pushing him and then he's pushing back and then you're getting into this situation where you could have skated away clearly the refs were looking at it like okay boys this is towards the end of the game here let's not get it not not do anything stupid and and Charlie goes way overboard with it and they keep going and all this stuff and it's like Charlie what just skate away, man. I know, and I've been seeing it over these last couple of weeks. You've had moments where you get to that hothead level, and, and most of them are warranted, right? And you got to have that, and you want to see him physical. I love it when Charlie McAvoy is physical. Though those games where he's just overly physical, they're a lot of fun to watch. But in this moment here, when you're about to go into overtime, and you are one of the most crucial pieces on this team right now, especially in a three-on-three -three situation, having Charlie McAvoy as your one defenseman, yes, I love Grizzlick, but having Charlie McAvoy as your guy to start off that overtime period, you feel ten times better, right? But instead, he's going after this Evans guy for no reason, really, just because, what, you're pissed off at him? What happened during the game? Charlie, take a minute. Take a breather. Relax. Breathe for me. Think about it. You're going to be out there for the majority of that three-on-three -three overtime. And yes, we ended up pulling it out, so it doesn't matter. But if you if you had Charlie McAvoy on the bench or in the penalty box, and for some reason you lose that three-on-three -three situation, I would have been screaming at Charlie McAvoy in that locker room. I I I bet that Cassidy was, in all honesty. I bet he was after him. But I don't know. That was just a moment where I was pissed at Charlie. 
Be mature. Grow up a little bit. You're supposed to be the leader of this defense. Show it. That was a moment. So I, I don't know. I, get better. That's all I can say about that. But we got to think. We got to talk about the big acquisition that happened. The big trade. The new defensive partner, possibly for Charlie Coyle or Charlie McAvoy. And we're going to do that when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clap. We are about to see the Hampus Lindholm era start for the Boston Bruins. I'm excited about it. This was such a big move for this Bruins team. They got the best defenseman that was moved at the deadline, clearly, in Hampus Lindholm from the Anaheim Ducks. And you did have to give up first round picks, and you had, or a first round pick, you had to give up uh, Vakaninen, a guy who used to be thought of as a possible, uh, potential, really good defenseman, possibly top four defenseman. I believe he was talked about at certain times. But now you're bringing in a guy who is a legitimate six foot four left shot defenseman who is more offensive minded, I will say. And I'll, I'll, I keep hearing all the Bruins fans calling in and being like, oh, he's a European defense or, oh, he's a Swedish defenseman, so there's going to be no physicality. I don't think that that's 100% true. I've heard things about him be, having, like, a nasty side to him, so we'll have to re- wait on judgment on that to see. I mean, he's 6'4", but I think he's listed at, like, 215, so not really, like, not a big boy. He doesn't have a ton of meat to him, but he's tall. He's tall, and he's going to be able to you know, play great defense for this squad, I think. But he's never been in a fight in the NHL in his, what, eight, nine seasons or something like that. I mean, I get it. That shows that you know he's not really the most physical guy out there. Never being in a fight in that many years in the NHL is kind of shocking, right? Um, though I, I know the NHL has gotten to a point where we're not really worried about fights and everything, and I love, we all love it. And that's one of the things that the casual fan really loves is the fact that you can fight in hockey and all that kind of stuff. And this guy has never done it. Not that we need that, though. We don't need him to be that. We got Trent Frederick. He can be our fighter. So I don't really care about any of that stuff. I care about what the production is going to look like on the ice. And this guy is going to be good offensively. I believe he only has five goals and 17 assists through the entire season so far. But for a defenseman, that's not terrible. And I think that he is going to be great on the power plays, being able to switch in and out for Charlie McAvoy. I doubt that they would go to the two defensemen on the power play. They usually just do the one. So being able to switch out Lindholm and McAvoy back and forth as the one defenseman, I think that'll be great for our power play unit. Not that Grizzlick was bad, but I think that that'll be really good. It'll give us better five-on-five abilities. I don't know if you're going to have him always paired up with Charlie McAvoy or if you're going to move him to to play with uh, Brandon Carlo a little bit. I don't know who is going to be paired up with Hampus most games. Maybe they need to find out what the best situation is going to be there because you don't necessarily need him and McAvoy together, right? If he's going to be another stud top four defenseman, you put him with Carlo now, who's defensive-minded majority and, and, and stupid at times, which, you know, that's neither here nor there. He is going to be a big part for bolstering that defense, a defense that everybody was asking for more help at. And this is a legitimate, very good player that not only did you get him on the team, but you also signed him to a huge extension. Eight years, $52 million, average annual value of $6.5 per year. Great contract, great player, and I'm extremely happy that we got him. I think that this is a huge win for Don Sweeney. 
right? I, I, a lot of people have been giving him crap over the years for the way that he's been the GM. I don't personally see it. I think that he's done enough good moves. I think he's done things. He's gone out and gotten players at deadlines. I mean, he just got Taylor Hall, who has been a huge success, I believe, for this team. He's now got Hampus Lindholm, who's going to be locked up for years on this squad. He, he uh, hopefully, getting in a player like this is going to maybe spark extra interest in Bergeron to maybe give it a, get, a go one more time next year. Uh, you know, that'll be the last go of him. Hopefully, hopefully. I don't know. I, I mean, I understand that it's going to be tough and, and Bertrand's been through enough. And, you know, you got to focus on this year, obviously. And this is a big move towards that. Now, the only problem that I do have is that we didn't go after any offensive help, right? And it looked like they were going to. It looked like we were going to try and move on from Jake DeBrusque. You sign him to that two-year extension, and then it's all the reports are coming out is they signed him to that two-year extension so that he would be able to be moved easier because his current contract with being a restricted free agent makes it so that most teams are going to look at him and be like, we don't want anything to do with that. We don't We don't want anything to do with his, his current deal. So you give him the extension. You take away the restricted stuff. You, you get it so that he has a little bit more more uh, life on the contract that you could trade to another team. Now he looks more, uh, you know, taste or, or swallowable, I guess. <laughs> His contract is more swallowable to be able to trade him off. And he's been playing good. He's been playing the best that he could play, being on a line with Marshan and Bergeron mostly. So I, I don't know, but I, I've said this in the past. I'll say it again. You could put anyone there and they would be great. But it, it sucks to me that we didn't get to move on from Jake DeBrusque. I thought that we were going to go and try and get one of these, you know, right wingers or left wingers from the Vancouver Canucks. Some of these guys that were very available, or, or there was players on the Flyers. There was play, there was players all around the league that supposedly the Bruins were in on, and you just didn't go get them. So it's the same offense, and they're still considered one of the better offenses in the league, but. I don't know, it, it, you, you f still feel like you need one more piece. You still needed another center, another winger, somebody who was going to come in to be a top six player on this team offensively, and and you were going to be able to get that much better. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I love what they did with the defensive move. I love shoring up that position, and it's going to help a lot when you're playing against teams like the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I'm happy that Hampus gets to come in right out the gate against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We're going to just get to see what he's going to do against a potent offense like the Lightning, but you need a guy like that. You need another defenseman because also that just moves all the depth pieces down a little bit. You're going to think that, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to end up doing. Who are they going to get rid of, Forbert or Riley at this point, but Moving those guys down, making them have less significant roles on the team, they're going to be that much better, right? They can be more comfortable. Kind of like with Jay, with Jake DeBrusque. When you put him into a situation where it's almost like he can't lose, being on a great line with Marshan and Bergeron, he's going to play great. He knows that he's on a big line. He knows that he has guys that are going to do everything that they can to set him up perfectly. And so he's going to try a little harder or he's going to play a little bit better in that role because he's not relied upon as much. Or Taylor Hall, same thing. When he is not the number one guy on the team, he can relax a little bit more and he gets into his game a little bit better and it's, and it's done wonders for him on this team. I think that's going to do great things for this defense as well. But man, I wish they could have done a little bit more on the offense. I, I, I'm worried about that. We're going to see how it goes. Obviously, I'm very confident in Swayman. I love Olmark. So our goalies I feel confident in. I now feel confident in the defense. Once again, it's the offense. We're going to see what we get from the offense going forward. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I, I, I'm hopeful, but I'm not extremely confident. We'll, 
We'll talk about that more, though, after the Thursday night game. That is going to be huge. Get ready, Bruins fans. Bruins against the Lightning Thursday night going to mean so much for this team. And also, tonight, go Devils. Hopefully the Devils can beat the Maple Leafs. Doubt it, but hopefully. All right, we got to wrap up this show. We're going to talk about the big news with the Red Sox to finish it all off when we come back after this on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. Look at those Boston Red Sox making a move. Making a big old move signing Trevor Story to a $140 million deal. A crazy big contract for a player who has dominated with the Colorado Rockies. But when you say Colorado Rockies, that's when you start to get a little bit of, uh, is he going to be anything outside of the Colorado Rockies? Is he going to be able to hit anywhere other than Coors Field? Because we all know that at the end of the day, when you go and you play anything in Colorado that involves hitting a ball, whether it's baseball, whether it's uh, golf, whatever, that ball is going to fly a lot farther. It's going to be a lot easier to hit. And players who usually come from the Colorado Rockies tend to have a dip in their production because they're not playing 82 games or 81 games in a stadium that balls just fly. They just fly off the bat. So I don't know. I, I mean, a lot of people have been questioning that. A lot of people have been talking about Trevor Story splits home away. His OPS is a not a whopping 972 at home when he was playing for the Colorado Rockies, but 752 on the road. So a good 200 points worse OPS. That's tough. <laughs> That's not what you want to hear. Playing at, you know, it's going to always inflate the numbers. Playing in Colorado is always going to inflate the numbers. But I'm going to choose to believe that he's going to be able to be good enough. I, I don't know. I, I feel like this player is going to come to the Red Sox. And first of all, he's not going to be playing his number one position on defense. He's going to get moved to second base. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit because that involves Xander Bogarts. But once he's able to get ingrained in this offense and we have a lot of good bats on this team, I think he's going to do good enough. Maybe not the 972 OPS, but sit, hitting somewhere in the 800s, right? Not a huge drop-off, but not a huge, not where he was before. So, I, I don't know. I, I believe that this guy is going to be good. And I believe that our offense is going to be great. We have a great offensive lineup now. You, you, you Putting Story into that lineup that they already have with all their other bats on top of that, going to be great. But that's not the problem, right? That hasn't been the problem for years for the Red Sox, to me. The problem lies with the pitching staff. If they do nothing to boast their, their rotation or, or nothing to improve their bullpen more than what they've done, then the bats won't matter, in my opinion. The bats were great last year, too. You had a great lineup. Everyone was talking about that going in. The bats, nobody cared about the, the offense. The offense was awesome. We And then we, we got players in that even added to the offense, like Schwarber, who was great. But when you run into the, the problems that you run into with the Red Sox is when you get to the point in the pitching rotation where those guys just can't handle it. When you, when you have to rely on the defense, which was also at times really bad for the Red Sox last year. That is the major problem. So, yes, I love Trevor Story coming on. I believe, or I'm choosing to believe, that he is going to be a good player for this team playing second base next to uh, Xander Bogarts at shortstop. But the thing I'm most worried about is the pitching staff. Are we not all worried about the pitching staff here? 
Is this, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously the Chris Sale injury, him going down is alarming. You lost Eduardo Rodriguez, like I've said before, even though I don't really like Eduardo Rodriguez, you lost him. So now, you know, you're you're looking at a rotation that has major holes to it. And, and you brought in guys like Michael Waka, who I don't know, even know if he has anything left in his arm. And, you know, you got to wait and see what this uh, Tanner Houck guy is going to be. I always pronounce his name terribly, but he seems to not be able to create a third pitch in his in his uh, arsenal. So how good is he actually going to be? That sounds like more of a reliever to me or long reliever or something if he doesn't have more than two pitches. So I don't know. I, I mean, I love the move. I, I love it. It's great, and I love the fact that the Red Sox are spending. I think we all, myself majorly included, were mostly yelling at the Red Sox for not spending, and they and you can't do that because they hadn't not spent yet, Zach. They had not gone through the entire offseason and not gotten any players. So me yelling at them saying, oh, my God, they're going to just do this whole Heim Bloom thing again and not get anybody and try and save money, that was wrong. I was wrong on that hand up wrong, wrong on that one. They went out and they got Trevor story, a great player, large amount of money. And now they have somebody who they're going to be able to kind of battle with Xander Bogarts. It seems unfortunately for that whole shortstop position, Xander is going to be coming up with a new contract as of next year. Is the team going to stick it out with him? I hope the team is going to stick it out with him because you're the Red Sox. You can hold on to everybody. You don't have to just get rid of them. And this guy is much better, in my opinion, than what you thought of Mookie Betts. Just because I know Mookie Betts was considered a smaller guy, a guy that, you know, how long is he going to be able to maintain his numbers, his power numbers, all this stuff. He's just a smaller guy, good fielder, great running, all that kind of stuff. But how long can you maintain that? Well, Xander Bogarts is a monster. He is a, a legitimate baseball talent that is going to continue to be constant, at least from the batting side of things, for his the majority of his career. I believe that. So sign him to whatever he wants. If he wants $30 million per year, you sign him, Red Sox. You don't let that player go. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of that notion that we think that the Red Sox are just going to let a player go. And now, with this spending on Trevor Story, you have to believe that he is going to actually, or they are going to actually continue to spend. You have to keep a player like Xander Bogarts on this squad, even if you have to move into third base. Even if you have to move Trevor Story over to shortstop because Xander isn't playing as good, you give Xander his $30 million, his short, his mega shortstop deal, whatever, and you move him to third base. You move Devers over to first, and now you get rid of Dahlback, whatever you got to do. All these moves can make sense if we just do them. You don't go with, oh, he specifically has to be a shortstop. Oh, he specifically has to be a third baseman. No. Make it work, Red Sox, please. You can continue to be a legitimate team. You saw how good they did last year with a, a team put together with Band-Aids and Bubblegum. Put together the legitimate roster, keep the players that you have made into superstars like Xander Bogards and Rafi Devers, and add in Trevor Story, and then you bring in, you know, whatever. I know that we have prospects coming up at shortstop and second base that might be good in the future. This team can be legitimate, but we also need to work on the pitching staff. That's going to be the major thing I'm going to be griping about in the future. It just is. All right, that's going to do it for the episode today. I just want to say thank you to anyone tuning in on WKKL or on 91.5 Sandwich. I appreciate you guys listening. This will be up as a podcast, wherever podcasts are found. Just search The Claptrap. I'm also up on Instagram and Twitter at The Claptrap. If you want to follow along, I will be back on Friday to talk everything Boston sports. We have a big game for the Thursday night game. 
Bruins versus Lightning. Can't wait to talk about that. Celtics keep rolling. Patriots, will you do anything? Please do something. And then Red Sox also. Do something from a pitching side, and we'll I'll feel a lot better. All right. Keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Capes Classic Alternative.